Let's pray now as we prepare to open the Word of God together. Father, we praise you and we thank you for another day that you have given us on your earth to follow you, to love neighbor, to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Lord God, as we open your word now, we pray your Spirit's attendance, your blessing, your help. Uh, Father, help us not only to pay attention, but to take your words in, to digest your words, and then, Lord, to be people who live them out in the midst of our neighborhoods. We pray these things in the mighty, powerful, saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, we hit the rewind button uh, just for a moment, and we go back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. There we had Naomi and Ruth and still Orpah at that moment. They were, the three of them were, on the road together, back, going, heading back toward Judah, and Naomi was pleading, pleading with her daughters-in-law to return to Moab. And as Naomi made her plea, she prayed, may Yahweh deal kindly with you, Ruth and Orpah. And when we were there, we noted that in the original Hebrew text, the word in 1.8 is chesed, which we translate, or the ESV has translated as deal kindly. Chesed, deal kindly. Naomi prayed in that moment that God's chesed, that his loving kindness would be upon the lives of Ruth and Orpah. Well, as we fast forward from that moment at 1.8 back to our current position in Ruth, which this morning is chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, here's the scene. Ruth has just come back from Boaz's field to be with Naomi, and Ruth at this moment is loaded up Quite literally, she is loaded up with God's manifested chesed. Ruth is loaded up with God's loving kindness. Ruth is carrying at this moment 30 pounds of barley and leftover roasted grain, we remember, and she presents it all to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And at verse 19 we get Naomi's amazement. We get her excitement. Naomi says to Ruth, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Now, Daniel Block, commentator, he suggests here, and I agree with him, that in fact, Naomi is not really interested. She's not really interested in the GPS coordinates of Ruth's gleaning. She's not really interested in the where of the matter, even though she asks these two where questions. Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Instead, what we have here is just simply Naomi exclaiming her excitement. So we could render her questions as something like this. 
Ruth comes back and Naomi says, where in the world have you been? Where did all this grain come from? Wow. And we notice that Naomi doesn't even wait for Ruth to answer her questions. Naomi just continues immediately by bursting into praise over the landowner who had shown such generosity to Ruth. Naomi says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Notice she doesn't even wait for Ruth to answer the question. So this verse is definitely then chock full of Naomi's appropriate excitement at the sight of this bounty that Ruth has carried back. But notice also that the verse is artistically crafted in such a way that it builds real suspense as we travel through the length of the verse. Notice this. So verse 19 is a rather long verse. Again, as we've said, it begins with Naomi asking those two where questions in her excitement and amazement. And then it continues with Naomi pronouncing that blessing on whoever the man was who had helped Ruth. And then the verse concludes with the narrator saying, so Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is... Boaz, can you see here this suspenseful buildup? In this beautifully crafted verse, we have this long buildup with words and with phrases like, where, the man, with whom, and the man's name with whom I work. So, so there's this purposeful, suspenseful build up until we come to the very last word in the verse, which is the big reveal, the name Boaz. To borrow the illustration of Christopher Ash here, uh, he says the verse has sort of the feel to it of those moments at the Oscars when they reveal the winner. And the winner is, and then there's a long pause before they give <laughs> Uh, the name at the end. So, so this is a purposeful thing here. We need to see the artistic craft of the narrative here. The Bible is artistically crafted by ancient genius authors who are, of course, working under the inspiration of Almighty God. Now, again, just remember here that Naomi's name means pleasant one, and she has been pleasantly surprised in this moment of her life by the unexpected arrival of all of this plentiful food. Now she is pleasantly surprised by Ruth's announcement that it was Boaz who had been the extravagantly generous landowner. Verse 20, Naomi exclaims to Ruth, May he be blessed by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, time out here. Naomi says, Yahweh, whose kindness. 
Is this the same Naomi who had been convinced in 113 that Yahweh's hand had gone out against her? Is this the same Naomi who in 120 and 121 had told the women of Bethlehem that Shaddai had dealt very bitterly with her? That it was Yahweh who had caused her emptiness? Is this the same person who had asserted that Yahweh had testified against her, that Shaddai had brought calamity upon her? Is this the same person? Is it the same Naomi who now praises Yahweh for his chesed, for his kindness? Something is afoot with Naomi. There seems to be a change happening in her life. As Paul House puts it, what's happening is that Naomi is, quote, emerging from her bitterness to bless Yahweh for unceasing kindness or mercy. She is emerging from her bitterness to bless Yahweh for unceasing kindness or mercy. Naomi was a believer who experienced real, and it was real, calamity in her life, which caused Naomi's take on God to darken to the point that she wanted to be known, she insisted on being known as Miss Bitter because of how she had perceived God's action in her life. But friends, all the while, all the while, in the midst, God refused to stop seasoning Naomi's life liberally with graces and with kindnesses. Yes? God refused to stop working blessing into her life. The end of the famine, Ruth's pledge or commitment to Naomi, uh, Ruth's going out and providentially meeting Boaz, the 30 pounds of barley, and the roasted grain, God refused to stop seasoning Naomi's life liberally with graces and kindnesses. And now, finally here, finally at 2.20, we see a happy change in Naomi. She's blossoming and flowering out again. Here she is blessing God now for his kindness. Now, my believing friend, if you are right now hurting, if you are devastated, if you are disoriented by life, by grief, if you are feeling right now as if your days are bitter, I want to gently encourage you that God, with his persistent kindness 
He is able to bring you to this place again, this place of Naomi in 2.20, where miraculously you will find yourself blessing God again for his kindness. God is able to do this. And sometimes when we are really hurting, what can help is to have a trusted brother, a trusted sister in Christ come alongside us in our disappointment and in our pain to put a loving hand on our shoulder and remind us, remind us of the many graces and kindnesses of God in our life that maybe we are unable to see right now because of our pain. It can help to have a winsome friend in Christ, encourage, encourage us to take baby steps again toward praise, the praise of God. Now, what's interesting in verse 20, if we look at this carefully, what's interesting is, is the way that the verse is written here, the way that it's written, the hesed or the kindness that Naomi mentions can technically, in the verse, it technically can be attributed either to Yahweh or Boaz or to both. She says, may he, that is, may Boaz be blessed by Yahweh whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The kindness here in question can be attributed either to Yahweh or to Boaz, and I would argue that this is a purposeful, a purposeful ambiguity in the Hebrew text. Naomi's words here are highlighting the fact that both Boaz and Yahweh have simultaneously together been pouring out kindness. But if we were forced to choose between Boaz or Yahweh, being the reference here, the evidence seems to point, in fact, more in Yahweh's direction. Naomi is primarily focused on Yahweh's hesed, Yahweh's loving kindness. So she's praising God again. Again, just to remind you, the concept of hesed that she mentions here, this is about a, a kind of faithful loyal, generous, merciful kindness. Naomi praises God here for his bountiful compassion, for his mercy in action that God has shown. And then at the end of verse 20, of course, Naomi says something to Ruth that is quite climactic in nature. Naomi says concerning Boaz, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, in past times from this very pulpit, we have talked about, on more than one occasion, we've talked about the biblical concept of redeeming, redemption, being a redeemer. And this theme of redeeming, this is going to take center stage, especially when we get to chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Ruth. For now, we hear 
Naomi apply this word redeemer to Boaz here in verse 20. And let's just review the basics of what a redeemer is. A redeemer in this ancient society was a family member or a close relative who took the responsibility to help another family member who had come into trouble. One more time, a redeemer was a family member or a close relative who took the responsibility to help another family member who had come into trouble. And you can study, if you want to, the specifics of redeeming and being a redeemer in the latter half of Leviticus chapter 25. But just as an example here, just so we're understanding this, if, say if I was the one who had come into trouble, say I had had to sell myself into slavery in order to pay back my debts, or say I had to sell some of my land as a way to pay back my debts, then a family member or a close relative from my clan who had the means to do so, would take on the responsibility to step in and pay back my debt and rescue me out of my difficulty. But now the specific trouble that has arisen in our story of Ruth is trouble that is of a slightly different nature. The trouble here in the story is that Naomi is a husbandless, sonless, postmenopausal woman with no male heir to perpetuate the family line on the land that belongs to the family. One more time, the trouble in the story of Ruth is that Naomi is a husbandless, sonless, postmenopausal woman with no male heir to perpetuate the family line on the land that belongs to the family. So, what's the solution to this quagmire, this problem? Well, four Sundays ago, when we were looking at verses 11 through 13 of chapter 1, we were talking there about the law of leveret marriage that was prescribed in Deuteronomy 25. We can think of the law of leveret marriage, Deuteronomy 25, as a sort of extension of the law of redemption. And again, just as a refresher, briefly, the law of leveret marriage in Deuteronomy 25 was this. If you were an Israelite married woman and your husband died before the two of you had a son, it was then the responsibility of your unmarried brother-in-law to marry you and to father a son with you so that the name of your deceased husband would continue and so that the land that had been allotted to your family would stay in the family and so that you yourself as a widow would be cared for until the end of your life. 
In Naomi's case, her husband Elimelech is dead, and her two sons are dead. She is a husbandless, sonless woman, and she is past menopause with no ability to bear children. And for that reason, Boaz marrying Naomi for the purpose of having a son to continue the family line would be a fruitless activity. Naomi is past childbearing age. In their recent book, Introducing the Old Testament, Robert Hubbard and Andrew Dearman help us here to understand, as we read Ruth, to understand the situation by saying this. I want you to listen to this. They write, since Naomi is postmenopausal, she's past menopause, can't bear children, the redemption model in the Old Testament apparently allows a close female relative, a close female relative, namely Naomi's presumably fertile daughter-in-law, Ruth, to marry Boaz as a substitute wife in place of Naomi. One more time, just so we can work through it and get it. Hubbard and Dearman write, since Naomi is postmenopausal, the redemption model apparently allows a close female relative, namely Naomi's presumably fertile daughter-in-law Ruth, to marry Boaz as a substitute wife in the place of Naomi. Okay, so... After all of that, we return again to verse 20, where Naomi points out that Boaz is one of our redeemers. When she says, one of our redeemers, the suggestion is that there is at least one other person in the family who qualifies as a redeemer. And this will become important as a detail a little later on in the story. But here in 2.20, as Naomi sits there with Ruth and she's all excited about the bounty that Ruth has brought back and she's all excited to learn now that this extended family member, Boaz, had been the one to provide the bounty, it's clear that Naomi Her wheels are turning as she says this, one of our redeemers. I think that right here in verse 20, she's already considering the possibility that Boaz and Ruth might come together in marriage to produce a son who would continue the family name. She's thinking about this, but her reverie, her thoughts are interrupted now by Ruth, who, in her own excitement about her fruitful day in the field, she essentially ignores Naomi's mention of Redeemer. Ruth blurts out, oh, and also, Mom, you have to hear this. So, I'm paraphrasing, but notice this in verse 21. Ruth says to Naomi, Just after Naomi has mentioned the Redeemer, Ruth says, besides, she busts in there, besides, he said to me, 
you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Ruth just kind of rides over Naomi's mention of the Redeemer here. There's so much excitement in this scene. Now, it's interesting here, isn't it, that Ruth uses this masculine word, keep close by my young men, when Boaz had instructed her to keep close to his young women, back in verse 8. But then what happens next is Naomi corrects Ruth in verse 22, as she says to Ruth, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women lest in another field you be assaulted. It's interesting. It's just a little correction that happens. But we notice here, what is Naomi concerned for in this verse? She's concerned for Ruth's safety, just as Boaz had been concerned for Ruth's safety. Naomi tells Ruth, in essence, don't go wandering off into some random field Stay with Boaz's young women. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that there had been that day when Naomi herself had wandered far from her field, far from Judah, over into Moabite fields to find food. And here Naomi is concerned that Ruth not make a similar sort of mistake. Stay in your assigned field. And then finally we get verse 23. So Ruth kept close, and here the Hebrew word is the same word we had back in 114 where Ruth clung to Naomi. It's the same Hebrew word here. We also had it in 2.8 and again in 2.21 where we had, in both cases, Boaz and Boaz's instruction to Ruth that she keep close to his servants. So now here in 2.23, Ruth does this. She clings. She keeps close to Boaz's young women out in the field. And it may be worth pointing out here that the movement in the story so far is from Ruth clinging to or staying close to an older woman named Naomi in 1.14, now to Ruth clinging to, staying close to, the younger women in the field. It's an interesting movement. But back to the verse. She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. Now commentators have figured out here that according to the information that we're given in this verse, Ruth was out in the fields gleaning for a period of about seven weeks. From sometime in April, uh, April to May to early June. Imagine if she averaged each day the same 30 pounds of barley that she had already done in one day. Imagine if she averaged that for each day of the seven weeks. She's already shown herself capable of that. This would be enough food to feed herself and Naomi for a very long period of time. And again, we need to see that behind all this gleaning was the generosity 
of Boaz, which is really the generosity of God. The last part of verse 23 reads, And Ruth, she lived with her mother-in-law. This brings us right back to 116, where Ruth had pledged, hadn't she? She had promised that she would lodge wherever Naomi lodged. So here we see Ruth making good on her promise. She is living, lodging with her mother-in-law. But as Christopher Ashe observes, I think, with a smile on his face, he says, while there's nothing wrong with a good (laughs) mother-in-law and living with a mother-in-law, this can't be the end of the story here. Because what if the provision of barley and grain runs out for these two widows in this ancient, male-dominated society? Of course, there has to be more to the story, and there is. And we're going to pick it up again next Sunday, Lord willing. In the passage we looked at this morning, there are two main ideas that we tried to highlight. And both of those ideas come out of Naomi's mouth in verse 20. The first idea is the hesed, the loving kindness that both Yahweh, God of Israel, and Boaz had shown toward Ruth and toward Naomi. And the second idea is this idea, of course, of redeeming, of redemption. Boaz is one of our redeemers, says Naomi. The fact is, friends, the fact is, as Christopher Ash has stated it is, and that's this, that Naomi and Ruth, in the story, they have both turned toward Judah. These two women have turned away from Moab and toward the land of covenant, and in Ruth's case, she has turned away from her Moabite gods and turn toward Yahweh, God of Israel. And what do these two women find in their turning? What do they find as they turn? They find God's kindness, and they find a redeemer. They find this worthy man, this relative named Boaz, whose display of Hesed toward the two women has been nothing short of excessive and extravagant. As you and I turn away from our sin, as we repent before God and turn toward Him, what do we find? We find God's kindness on two legs. We find God's redeemer. We find the treasure that we have been searching for. We find the worthiest man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the better than Boaz, the near relative who pays our debt. How? with his life so that we might be 
delivered. You see, each one of us are poor, weak, needy people who, when it comes to getting right with God, we cannot help ourselves to do that. We can't. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are, the New Testament tells us, reveals this to us, affirms this, outside of Christ, we are all slaves to sin. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are in a deep pit of spiritual bondage. We exist under the curse of God's law. If someone doesn't come from outside of us to intervene and to deliver us, we remain under the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, God orchestrates his plan to buy us out of our dire predicament. In sheer grace, God does that. In sheer grace, he does it. God sends his son who comes as the kindness of God on two legs. Jesus comes and he does the most bewildering thing. He willingly goes to the cross. He willingly goes to the cross there to pay the ransom price of his own life in substitution for you and I. How do you and I have the redemption that we need? The redemption that we need to be in a right relationship with God. How do we have that? Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We are ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 that we heard in our New Testament reading earlier. Ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Of course, that's redemption language. Titus 2, 14, or Titus 2, 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us, to redeem us, from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus, my friends, is our redeemer. He is the near relative who comes to buy us out of our insoluble trouble. And he does that at the cost of his shed lifeblood. I pray that if you are listening right now, I pray that you know, that you know that you're in a vital personal relationship with this crucified, risen Redeemer, Jesus Christ. I pray that you are in a life-giving relationship with him. Turn to him. Look to him. Call on his name and be saved.
And for those listening right now who do know this Redeemer named Jesus, the application for you this week and for me this week and for every single day of our lives, the application can always be found on any day of the week. It can always be found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Know this, know this, my saved, rescued friend, know this, that you are not your own. Do you know that? You are not your own. Your soul, your teeth, your eyes and ears and legs and feet and hands and private parts and arms and brain and heart, the whole of you has been bought with a price. The whole of you was purchased with the price of the blood of the one who is more worthy than Boaz. So then, what's the application? Glorify God with your body. Yes. Speak, think, act, walk, run, work, play, do it all in a way that brings fame and honor to God. And do that both in a public setting and in your most private setting. And do it all in the enablement of the Holy Spirit of God. May the Lord help each one of us to be shining lights to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father in heaven, we are blown away as we consider this entire story of Ruth. We're blown away once again as we meditate on and deepen into your loving kindness, your chesed, the fact that you are a giving God, giving graces and kindnesses throughout our days on this fallen, sin-sick planet. We thank you so much for your presence in our lives, for the fact that you, as believers, you have enlivened us by your Holy Spirit to be zealous for good works. We praise you and we ask your help this week, Lord, to be Boaz's and be Ruth's, to be kind, to give exorbitantly and generously to people around us who are in need. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Welcome back to our limited edition of 1225 Live episodes, which are being offered in combination with our current sermon series on the book of Ruth. In yesterday's sermon, we were looking at Ruth chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, which in fact brought us to the very end of Ruth chapter 2. And as we look back over that entire chapter of scripture, I think a great um, companion text, if we want to call it that, a companion text that will enhance our meditation on Ruth chapter 2 is Psalm 107 verses 1 through 9. But just before we get there, a comment or two on Ruth chapter 2. Of course, in that chapter, we are introduced to Boaz, and Boaz, of course, goes out of his way to shower chesed, loving kindness, mercy, 
on Ruth and Naomi. And we also learn toward the close of Ruth chapter 2 that Boaz is a redeemer within the family line of Elimelech. And that piece of information, of course, sparks great hope as we continue on into the rest of the story. So then there is plenty in Ruth chapter 2 for which Ruth and Naomi should be very thankful to God. Now, we get to Psalm 107. And over in the first two verses of Psalm 107, what do we have there? We have a call to thanksgiving in verse 1. And that is then followed by an immediate mention of God's goodness and God's chesed, his steadfast love, as it is translated there in the ESV. And then the mention of God's chesed in verse 1 is followed immediately by two uses of the word redeemed in verse 2. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. So, like Ruth 2 verse 20, where we have the mention of both the chesed of God and the redeeming that comes through uh, Boaz, we we have in these first two verses of Psalm 107 the same two ideas, chesed and redeeming, they're in very close proximity to one another. And then verse 3 of Psalm 107 continues with the mention of people, people like Ruth, whom God gathers from distant lands, from east, west, north, and south. Down in verse 5, there is uh, mention there of hunger and thirst, souls fainting because of hunger and thirst, which also very much matches the experience of Naomi and Ruth. Verses 6 and 7, people cry to Yahweh in their trouble, and Yahweh delivers them from their distress. And in verse 7, God leads them into a city, sort of like Naomi and Ruth had come into the town or the city of Bethlehem. And then verse 8, there's a renewed call there to thank Yahweh for his Chesed. That's that's the word that gets used there again in the text. Israel is called to thank God for his chesed, for his wondrous works also. And we think here of thanksgiving in the story of Ruth. Thanksgiving uh, for the 30-pound sack of grain, a wondrous work that God performs. We think of being thankful and thanksgiving for the presence of Boaz, for all of the rich generosity of Boaz, uh, which we've pointed out in the sermon series, is in fact the generosity of God that is being manifested, uh, showered over the lives of Ruth and Naomi. And by the way, verse 8 here in Psalm 107, uh, this is the first part of a repeated refrain that happens throughout the psalm. Uh, So the exact same words that are in this verse are found again down in verse 15 and again in verse 21 and finally in verse 31 as well. And then finally today, uh, we're looking at verse 9 here. God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Well, hasn't this been the case with Naomi and Ruth? Uh, with both of these widows 
who had experienced real grief. Uh, God has begun to shower them in the story with his blessing and with his fullness. So for today's episode, I'm simply offering you uh, these first nine verses of Psalm 107 as a companion text uh, to Ruth chapter 2. And I hope that in walking through these verses very briefly that you have been encouraged by the beautiful description of God's character that we find in those verses. And my hope for you is that your soul will not be downcast as you put your hope in this Lord, this wonderful, beautiful, great God that we serve. So be blessed, and Lord willing, we will see you back here next Monday. Mm -hmm.